Hi, this is Nathan. We wanted to let you know up front that this is the last episode of Season 1 of the Fire and Bones podcast. We're going to take the month of August off, but we've already got some great episodes lined up starting in September. Season 2 will include subjects such as aliens and UFOs, demons and the occult, as well as psychology, psychiatry, and the Bible. Also, Lord willing, we'll be joined by Blake White, author of The Five Solas, The Deliberately Protestant Church, Aaron Minikoff, who wrote a book on the fruit of the Spirit called Character Matters, and the editorial director for Nine Marks, Jonathan Lehman. Hope today's episode is helpful, and we'll see you again in September. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It really is a thing because I saw... Uh, a post by Matt Smethurst the other day, and it said, quit saying God told me with your Bible closed. And to my shock, it became a, a I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but it became a debate on Twitter. Like, is, is this, is this a thing? Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me a room full of people on the internet with no jobs living in their mother's basement Wanted to argue about something. I, I don't. I don't. That's so crazy. I don't know who these guys are. Some of them. I mean, but yeah. <laughs> there's, so there was a debate on Twitter. That's news. <laughs> was it a bunch of junior high girls that were like, "Well, I just told my ex boyfriend that God told me." Nope, didn't didn't see that one. But you may want to jump in. Sounds like and offer your perspective, offer some personal experience. Um, well, I mean, I, if I, you I, tell people that they can't say God told me with their Bibles closed, then no one can break up with anybody. I hear ever. I hear personal pain in your voice right now. <laughs> I mean, I remember Doctor. I, mean, I might have broken up with one or two girls. You know, <laughs> broken some hearts back in my day. Yeah, yeah. We need to change directions real fast right now. <laughs> Dr. Kreider in uh, theology class, I remember him talking to uh, the women in our class saying if if any of, and he was talking about Doctrine of Revelation, he was he said, if any of you girls ever have uh, a man come to you and say, God told me we should get married, you should just run. Just don't, don't pay attention. Don't ask him any questions. Just go the other way. Find somebody else. Presumably he meant don't run to the altar. Right? Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. Run away. Run away. Like Joseph run the opposite Potiphar. direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But absolutely. it it is a common. It's how do we hear from God? Do should should we say? Uh, let me just ask you this: Have you ever felt led to do something? And should we say and use words like "God told me" or "God led me," or how how do we how do we hear from God? Um, it seems in my experience as a pastor that people really wrestle with this and there's a culture out there that just suggests that we, we just, we just kind of feel our way. And, and I think when it comes down to it, there's really an inability to discern between personal intuition and revelation from God, revelation being God revealing himself, his intentions, his desires, his commandments to us. And there's really not a, an ability to discern often the difference between I feel like and God told me. Um, do, you, do you see that in our culture? Do you see that in local churches in your experience? Well, yeah. But, you, you know, I, you have to kind of take a step back and go, there's not ever been an Old Testament prophet that ever said, I just feel like God is telling me to tell you guys. Like, <laughs> so that... The, <laughs> so, <laughs> You can imagine how weird that would be for Jonah to walk in the middle of Nineveh and say, I just feel like God is saying, you know. Um, so no prophet was ever confused as to what God was saying, mm -hmm. right? It was crystal clear. And so it, it causes me to take a step even further back and ask, why is it that we 
want that, mm-hmm. that we desire that so much, mm-hmm. that we feel as though every little decision in our life mm-hmm. must be undergirded by a clear direction, like pointed, audible, God speaking into a situation direction in your life. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to make this decision to change jobs or to to move places, which may be monumental, huge decisions. Right. Or it could be something as simple as, you know, I don't, I don't know, a much simpler decision. And we feel as though we have to have some sort of verbal direction, verbal or even just emotional God's presence direction before we make a decision. And I, to me, that is a little bit more troubling than, mm-hmm. than anything else. It's almost as though we're, we're seek, we're constantly seeking approval. It's like, it's like we're a child who is not convinced that, that our father loves us. And so everything that we do, we constantly want approval mm-hmm. in order to be assured that he approves of us. And I think that's troubling. Mm-hmm. So do you do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, work that work that out a little bit more because you you're saying that there's kind of an. Ex- I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> there's like an experiential narrative as to why we do that, versus a a a doctrinal. We read this in scripture. We think this is how it works. Therefore, by faith, we're going to respond to commands, instruction, and example about this. And instead, what it sounds like you're saying is we have this kind of inward state um, bent that that wants that, and that's, that's where that comes from. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, too, you know, you, you when we make a decision, I think we want to know that God approves of us making this decision going this direction. Mm-hmm. God is giving his thumbs up. Um, I had a professor at, also at DTS, not Dr. Kreider, but it was uh, uh, Jim Allman, who was probably my favorite professor there. He used to say, when you're faced with a choice and neither option is sin, pick one, and that is God's will. Um, mm mm-hmm. I think what we want is, you know, so we're, so we're isolating a couple of things, a couple of variables. Mm-hmm. One, the choices that we have, between the choices we have, let's say there are two, maybe three, it could be 50 choices, 50 different choices we could make. We're eliminating any choice that could potentially be sin. Obviously, mm-hmm. that is not a direction that God is ever going to prove of. Mm-hmm. So once we've eliminated the possible sin, what, what is it that we're looking for from the Lord to give us? We want some audible direction that he says, pick, pick choice A mm-hmm. or pick B. Mm-hmm. Do we want some affirmation that in the future this is going to turn out right for us? Well, this must be the right way because I know I felt God saying X. Yeah. And it, he was telling me to take this choice. Mm-hmm. So th- this has to be the right one. We want some sort of affirmation. But the reality is, if God has set his love on us in Christ, he approves of you. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to approve. Mm-hmm. He, he approves of you. And in the choices that you make, given that neither one of them is sin or none of them are sin, pick one, and that is his will. So really, in the choice-making you know, process— my responsibility is to analyze my own heart. That's what I'm seeking the Lord for. Mm-hmm. I'm going to his word. I'm praying. I want to make sure that nothing in my heart, as far as I know it, is sinful. Mm-hmm. Am I looking at one of these options sinfully? Mm-hmm. And if so, then, well, I need to correct it. That's obviously not what the Lord wants for me. And so... And if I'm his child, even if I do step out on a on a choice and it's sinful and I didn't realize it at the time, he's going to correct me, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he is. He's going to let me know. 
And so I think, you know, the, 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 the thing that I'm most concerned about is that before all of this, we are desperately seeking some verbal approval, some verbal affirmation that our Father actually likes us. That he approves of us mm. in some way. And I think by looking at our choices and affirming, yes, go A, go B, go C, we feel that sort of affirmation. And so we feel the need to kind of seek that emotional um, comfort somehow. And, and, it, it, and it leads to, it, which we're about to talk about, but it leads to, you know, obviously tremendous doctrinal issues, sure. Mm. But it, it starts with this, like, not, I don't think, understanding our own position in the kingdom. Right. Yeah. Do you disagree with that or agree? No, I don't disagree. I think I think one of the things— Was that enough fleshing it out for you? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> um, I think what it does, too, it kind of begins to touch on the difference between amoral decisions and decisions between uh, sin and righteousness. So I think so often— when I hear people talking about discovering God's will in, uh, in personal conversation, trying to figure out what God wants them to do, very often they get stuck on amoral decisions. So things that aren't inherently wicked or righteous in and of themselves. Should I buy a red car or a blue car? Should I uh, move to this city or this city? Should I get this job or this job? And that's kind of what you were getting at. You know, if, if there's no inherent sin in front of you, then I, I think it's difficult for us to comprehend what you're getting at and that there is actual freedom, that God's not looking down going, I cannot believe you chose to move to Minnesota. I was trying to get you to New York, and you have right. thwarted my plan. Yes. I was whispering in your ear in your devotion every morning, and you didn't listen. You went to the wrong city. Because, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah. If, There's a way that seems know. right to man but leads to death. We, we, we struggle to to uh, with, with that in, in so many ways. But then there's the so that, that kind of begs the question. We we really don't see an example um, in uh, I guess we should, we don't have instruction for sure on living our lives and amoral things, expecting revelation from God personally about th- those kinds of things that we are actually, there, there's actually a freedom that we live in uh, that because of Christ for our righteousness and because of what it means to live in righteousness, those, those things are free things. Uh, I think that's almost, it's unfathomable to us in some sense uh, for some reason in our culture to just think the Lord has given us that kind of freedom. Now, often I think what happens is we we miss moral implications that are connected to decisions like that. Uh, so, you know, should should I walk through door A or B? Well, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect me, but it might affect a lot of other people. It might it might mean relationships. It might mean support. It might mean uh, discipleship investment. It might, might mean all kinds of things that obviously you ought to, to consider. Uh, loving your neighbor kinds of questions to consider. But I think what we're getting at is when it comes to when it comes to morality, when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to what God is expecting from us, uh, having been saved by the cross, walking in newness of life, that what he expects from us is to break free from the enslavement of sin and that his revelation in Scripture is authoritative and is sufficient for that, that it's, it might not be sufficient to tell you what to do today. And God never promised that he was going to speak uh, in the clouds or the stars or in circumstances or in a voice in your head or your heart to give you direction on amoral things. But we have sufficient direction and instruction in order to help us walk righteous lives before him. And that is so freeing. To know that God cares much less about uh, us kind of getting the plan right about where we go and what we do, so much as what kind of people we are everywhere we go, right? And we just we we can walk. Yep. One of the things I'm preaching this week actually is uh, on Sunday is just walking in God's providence. 
There's just so many things that we don't even get to choose. Where were you born? What's your name? Who are your parents? Who are your friends? Uh, what job opportunities are even available to you? What do you inherit? I mean, we just have this long list of things that you don't get to choose. You don't even get to choose your friends. You might choose your friends in one sense, but from from among a very small portion of the 7 billion people on earth, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it's just, you're so limited in what we're actually even able to do. We're all kind of walking in God's providence and his plans for our lives, trying to do what is righteous according to Scripture, trying to do what, what, is, what is right according to what he's already revealed to us. Um, so th- thoughts on that? I don't know if that's helpful or if that's a good addition to what you shared. Yeah, I yeah I'm I don't, I don't know that I have tons more to add, but I would I would say that what's always tough and it it's tough for me. It is it has taken me a long time to even get to this place, and I would still say I'm a long way from really trusting in that God actually loves me. Mm. I think that's a really hard thing for people to grasp that if you're if you're in Christ. He loves you. And I think we so often think about God as, well, I'm going to make this decision, and it's really, if I make the wrong one, it's going to tick him off. You know, right, granted, right. if it's sin, he's going to discipline his children. Okay, that, that's, that's true. But he disciplines you because he loves you. Yeah. And, and it's not out of anger that he's disciplining you. And the other is that <clears throat> that's, that's really not how we should be thinking about our relationship with the Lord at all. Right. That in reality, uh, in making this decision, in making a decision, uh, I can believe that that he actually loves me, that he cares for me, that he wants what's best for me, that he wants he actually does want me to be happy. I know that's shocking. <laughs> right. Yeah. It but, is freeing. You know, it, it is. It's like. You know, and it, but I'm telling you, it took me, I mean, I'm 37 years old, about to be 38 here in a couple months. And I, it took me, I would say, the better part of 30 years to really realize that God loved me. Hmm. And that's a long, and, I, and I, as I look at people, as I talk to people, I can sense that so many people are dealing with that very same issue. And I, and I think it touches on this issue too, because I, I, I really do think that a lot of times our quest for approval on decisions that we make or uh, divine direction or whatever you want to call it, um, the doctrine of revelation to be really, you know, technical, I guess. Mm-hmm is really a quest to gain approval v- from a, 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 you know, a divine being mm-hmm. that we're not convinced actually loves us already. Hmm. And, and it's, it's like you just want to grab them and say, I want you to just walk with me back in time 2,000 years, and we're going to walk up a hill in Jerusalem just on the outside of the city, and we're going to watch this man die on a cross. And if th- and this man was actually sent here by that same divine being that you're not convinced loves you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to watch him suffer, and he's suffering for you mm. so that you don't have to. If that doesn't convince us that God actually loves us and he approves of us, not of sin, but he approves of us. You're his kid. You're in his family. Right. I don't know what can. Yeah. You know, and so so if is I think that changes the whole mindset of how we even go about making decisions is that we think, all right, God loves me. So in that case, yeah. my prayer, my prayers change from not that we don't want obviously a peace not that we don't want you know not that we don't want to to listen to things that like i can't under i don't know why I, that particular decision disturbs me like it does mm-hmm. but it does 
it's not that we don't want to listen to those things. Um, because I do think there is some spirit guidance to making those kinds of decisions where we go, you know what? I'm not really sure why choice A disturbs me like it does. But it does. Yeah. It, 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 there's something about it, and, I, and I'm not sure why. It, it, you know, th- there's a spirit guidance there that I want to be very careful that I don't attach God's name to mm-hmm. and say, you know, God's saying no to that when I don't know that for sure. But, and so I want to be careful about that. But it's not that I don't have to listen to those, you know, yeah. that I can't say, well, it doesn't seem that choice A is sin and that choice B is righteous. But choice A gives me the creeps, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> so I'm going, I'm going this other way. I mean, I think that's that's actually pretty reasonable. For but but what I'm doing in prayer is I'm making sure that I'm not sinfully motivated in one of, in in the decisions that I make. Yeah. That my heart is set on on the Lord. That in what in the decision I make, whatever decision it is, I want it to be for God's glory. That. I'm primarily seeking his name, his fame above all else, mm-hmm. and that my good is only going to come through that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see these options before me. You know, some of them I might have, I might enjoy more than the other, but which one will actually bring God the most glory? Yeah. You know, and, and so I, I'm evaluating things on a different spectrum yeah. than does God actually approve of this? I, I this is all this has taken such a delightfully different direction than I thought we were gonna go <laughs> with this. I I I pulled out four systematic theology books this morning, <laughs> knowing the subject was coming, and my brain just exploded a little bit here. But I think it's so helpful for you to bring up the fact that often we're we're kind of cowering around. We're kind of crawling around before God, hoping that we don't mess up. And and even on our best days, trying to seek God's approval by doing the right thing. And so mm-hmm. you're saying we're even more we're we're in a weird in a weird twisted way inclined towards God's will that really kind of proves our own self righteousness in some sense. Uh, but is seeking an acceptance from God outside of Christ himself, yeah. first and foremost, so that our seeking God's will ought to begin with known, believe, accepted, solid acceptance from mm-hmm. God uh, of us. And from there, mm-hmm. we seek a loving Father's will, and uh, we're we're more eager to hear from him rather than just ourselves or anything else. I just think that's really, that's helpful. It makes me think of uh, David in Psalm 139 when, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, God, if there's any sin in me, David prays this long prayer about how God is there in the morning when I wake up. God's in the depths of the sea. Um, If the darkness covers me, it's going to be like light outside to you. You're everywhere I go. You know all the thoughts before they come onto my tongue. But then David does something incredible. He confesses to God that what he is doing, he thinks is right. And it's particularly his relationship with those who are wicked and who hate God, who are men of bloodshed. And David says, I have nothing to do with them, and I wish you would have your way with them. Uh, So David is kind of proclaiming his own righteousness to God, saying, God, I think I'm right towards these men. But the whole point of the whole psalm is, you know me better. You knew me when I was in my mother's womb. You know me better than I know me. Therefore, search Mm me, uh, try me, know my thoughts, see if there is any grievous way in me. And what I think is interesting Mm -hmm. is, and maybe this takes us down the geeky path that I was on from the beginning, is (laughs) David begins with previous revelation from God. He begins with, I know that this pleases God. Right? God has said, this ought to be my relationship with those who hate God. And 
And there's some Old Testament nuances here that might be lost, but, but David is claiming to be right by wicked men before God. And he knew that that's how God feels uh, about the king and about Israel when they went into the land of Canaan. So David's claiming to be right based on God's previous revelation. And when he goes to God, he's saying, God, search me and know me and just make sure that I help me make sure that I am in tune with what you've already said. I want you to check my heart to make sure that my motives and my application of what you have said is good and right. And if not, show me that not about what I'm just what I'm doing with my life, but that, well, you know, in terms of decisions, but that I'm a kind of person uh, morally that is pleasing and honoring to you. So he, there's kind of that putting revelation in its place, putting God's speaking in its place, and he's seeking God to have, have awareness of himself, not mm-hmm. awareness of decisions out there, but awareness of himself and what kind of person he is. I think, that, mm-hmm. I think that's a helpful kind of um, calculus or, uh, you know, uh, rubric to think through. I re- I'm responding to God's word. God, help me know if I'm responding to your word right. Uh, rather than just, here I am with my coffee outside, talk to me. Tell me where to go. Um, I don't know. Is that, is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah, I think it it brings to brings us to a, a point now where we think, okay, if we understand, I'm accepted in the family of God. He loves me. He actually cares for me. Then now it's incumbent on me to know what He's already said. And mm-hmm. so my first inclination is then to turn to the Word and to know it like the back of my hand, to continue to pour over it, and to know that God is never, ever, ever going to direct you to do something that is in contradiction with His already revealed Word. So, you know, there's people that will say, you know, well, I know, okay, so God loves me, He cares for me, I'm His child, I really do feel like he wants me, you know, to leave my spouse. False, right? We know that's already false because that is in blatant contradiction to his word. You know, so there are certain directions that are eliminated. In other words, far more things are sin than you really think are sin. Um, And the only way you know that is by coming to know his already revealed word. That gives you a lot of direction in the sense of it tells you, look, uh, this is, this is a sinful approach to life itself. And the more you come to know it and understand the word in its context and understand what it really means, um, then I, I think the more you, you can, you start, you begin to eliminate a lot of things that are in your life or possible choices in your life because you realize, no, no, these are actually sinful directions. They don't appear sinful on the surface, but they are sinful uh, underneath. And I know that because I know the very character of God as it has been revealed in his word. And so a lot of times those options that feel kind of creepy to us, and we're not quite sure why, uh, are, are more than anything, we know the character of God and we're not quite sure we can put our finger on what it is, but something about what we already know doesn't jive with what we are, are seeing in front of us. And so, you know, so I, I think it, it puts more onus on us to go back into the Word and to understand more than we're looking for a verse that says, take that job, which is not in there. Like, mm-hmm. as much as you want to search through the prophets, none of them said, you know, hey, Sandra, take job A, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, it's just not there. And, and Listen, so, Sandra, you need to know. Yeah. Hope she's listening. Some, Yeah, some, some lady named Sandra out there is listening. Is like, what in the world? How did they How know? How did they know? Uh, I needed to hear yeah. this. God's speaking to me through yeah. the podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's not in there. That verse isn't in there. What you're... What you're searching for in the scriptures is understanding the character of God Mm -hmm. so that the things that uh, present themselves to us in life 
um, the the we set up we have alarm bells set up all over so that our mind is shaped by the very character of God, character of God revealed to us in Christ. And when we come upon those kinds of decisions, um, those alarm bells start going off, perhaps even for reasons we're not aware, but they start going off because because something doesn't jive with who we know God to be. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't work. And so so I think it, it puts more onus on us not to seek some voice out of the sky, mm-hmm. but to seek some voice that's already been revealed in 66 books that are sitting on our lap. Mm-hmm. That's where his word is. Mm-hmm. That's where it's already been revealed. Know the character of God. It helps you to make decisions, you know, mm-hmm. I think is, is kind of the impetus here. Mm-hmm. So can I can I just do the geeky thing that I've been wanting to do the whole time? Do it. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if I have your confidence or not, but the You don't. I think <laughs> the I truth, already approve of the you, truth Nathan. That I already approve you already, Quit seeking we're already approval. Friends. We're already friends. <laughs> the, the I the thing I think is important is that the Bible itself is telling us that it is sufficient for every good. So a couple passages that are just coming to my mind. We probably, most Christians, probably, if they've ever been to Vacation Bible School, have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. But then verse 10 is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created. That's crazy to think. We're created, a new creation in Christ Jesus, for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul has this idea that you have been saved by grace through faith, not as a result of your works, and that that salvation makes you God's workmanship, a new creation for good works. You're going to do good things. You're going to be good which God prepared beforehand so that you should walk in them. So that the plan of salvation is for you to walk in good works. And, and I don't think that means places and times and people specific to you so much as it means kind of work. Now, obviously, in terms of providence and in terms of sovereignty, God orchestrates uh, locations. He moves agents of grace to objects of grace. He moves objects of grace towards agents of grace, and he does that. He orchestrates the moving of people. And and there is a sense in which God calls people and uh, woos people to the mission field or pastoral ministry or to your neighbor next door by his spirit. But fundamentally, Scripture is saying we're called to, we are saved for good works, the kind of works that uh, that are righteous to him. Now, he says in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So all of Scripture, Timothy, everything, and that would include for us the New Testament, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How in the world could we possibly get equipped for all that good work that we were newly created to do in Christ Jesus? Paul told Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's sufficient to equip us for every good work. So what does God want us to do? He has good works that he has prepared us to do, that he has saved us for. And for us to know how to do that and how to walk in every good work that we're given to do, Scripture is breathed out and is profitable towards equipping us to do every good work. So that no matter what block we live on, what job we take, where we live in the world, Scripture can equip us to good work. Now, what's interesting is if you go to Calvin's Institute's You go through the major systematic theologies for the last 100 years. If you go to Carl F. F. Henry's uh, God, 
uh, revelation and authority. If you go to Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, you have B.B. Warfield, the turn of the century. They spend an, a, what I think we would feel is a disproportionate amount of time, as we do in our modern minds, postmodern minds, on the nature and the revelation of God in Scripture. So like Norman Geisler has a three, uh, four volume systematic theology. The first fourth of that is all on the prelegomena and the, the nature of Scripture. Carl Henry, who was a member at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, who founded Christianity Today, wrote God, Revelation, and Authority, was at seven 800,000 pages. It's pretty much mm-hmm. all on the philosophical defense of God revealing himself and his revelation being sufficient. There's a great book that uh, I don't know if I agree with everything in it, especially since the turn that he's made. He's kind of kind of went a different direction the last couple of years, but I'm not haven't followed too closely. A guy named Alan Thornberry wrote a book called Recovering Classic uh, Evangelicalism, and just kind of showed how from Billy Graham forward there kind of began to be a revivalist, um, pragmatic uh, movement in local church and in revivals. But that if you got kind of a generation back before Billy Graham and you kind of follow what he's calling classic evangelicalism, there is so much talk and defense and use of the Bible being the sufficient revelation of God for us to be saved and for us to live as Christians. So we have, and it, so it's, it's from Calvin forward to today. Those who are the uh, the most serious public, often what we would consider kind of anchored, uh, helpful theologians, they spend a lot of time talking about and studying and showing that Scripture is the central revelation for Christians, the sufficient revelation of Christians to know and to follow God. And when we say sufficient, we mean if you only have your Bible and that's it, then you can know God's will in terms of you don't need special revelation. Uh, you don't need to God to write a message in your coffee. You don't need to feel uh, something. Let You can go to Scripture, and if God gives you enlightenment, enlightenment to Scripture by His Spirit, you have what is necessary and what God wants for you and how to live uh, your life. And what I've found so often in counseling, and even in my, even in my own heart, even in my own experience, uh, I think about what to do. I get stuck be- between decisions. And so often in, in talking to church members, I, I it's so often that what they're deciding, there actually are facets of their decision, facets of their life, which Scripture speaks directly to. But in their minds, they've kind of been thinking, I've just got to make this decision. I've got to feel my way through it. No, Scripture actually is sufficient. If you break down your decision into some moral choices, into loving your neighbor, into righteousness and sin, into selflessness and selfishness, it actually becomes clear what you should do. If you take the gospel, like Paul does in Colossians 3, and use it as an example for how to respond to that person, it actually becomes very clear what you ought to do and how you ought to live. And I don't know, that's an emphasis that I think we ought to try to regain in our churches, the sufficiency of Scripture. One, one, Absolutely. One quick thought is the the really readable version, the really popular give-this-to-anybody short version is Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it's just mm. a great—it's a pretty short, pretty thin, but, man, it packs a lot of punch. Uh, and it's really helpful just to say God's Word really is sufficient uh, to give you everything that you need. It's a, it's a wonderful, helpful book. What also is not sufficient is your own feelings. Yeah. Those are very misleading. Uh, Your heart is ready to betray you at any moment. And so with your heart is your feelings. Um, I mean, your heart technically is a muscle in your chest. 
Uh, so, you know, <laughs> Dr. Michael, good to have you today. Yeah. 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 Just in case you want to know, uh, I don't have, I do have an MD actually. It's a web MD and, uh, my specialty is hypochondria. Um, so, but anyway, I'm, I'm here all day. Uh, so, (laughs) but no, your, your mind is also fallen. We call it the noetic effects of the fall, but it, it is that your mind is fallen and it is ready and willing to betray you at a moment's notice. And can I, let me kind I'm of push troubled. back on that. Let me, let me, let me give you. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So go ahead. Go ahead. Push back on me. I really only ask permission me, bro. to be nice. What, what happens when we become a Christian? Are we entirely still fallen or has something in our compass or kind of our internal disposition Something changes. So, yes, I think I don't. I'm just I'm I'm wanting to be cautious of just saying Christians who are following Christ, trusting Christ, who are in Him and Him in them, and His indwelling Spirit. I want to. I, I, I know where you already stand on this, but just to clarify, that we're not saying Christians and non-Christians are in the same. We have the same relationship to sin and temptation. That we have. We have the the same relationship to the broken compass of humanity that there's a there's something happens and there's a difference right i would i would put it like this you are still fallen the difference between a christian and a non-christian is that the christian has also an unfallen nature within them Mm -hmm. so uh uh the nature of God mm-hmm. uh, in him. But that is also something that is cultivated over time. Mm-hmm. It's not something that comes to you in the full at, well, at any point in the, in the light, in this life. Right. Um, otherwise we would be glorified. I mean, I guess that would be contra to Methodism and things like that. But, mm-hmm. but for, you know, I think doctrinally sound people, we would understand that we're not going to be glorified in this life. Yeah. Um, there, there is some already anyway. not yet aspect to what we are. Right. So, so a, uh, a, a non Christian would be, uh, would have no other calculus other than the fallen mind for us. We do and are guided by, thoughts of uh, a renewed mind or a mind that is being renewed daily mm-hmm. and that it's, we are growing more in the likeness of, of Christ yeah, and, and being conformed into his image. I won't try to remember the, uh, I probably could, but won't try to remember the Latin. St. Augustine said before before the fall, Adam, it was possible. You just jumped out there, by the way, with, uh, you just jumped out there, by the way, with Augustine. Augustine. And that's pretty bold. That's a bold move because some people would be really tempted to say Augustine. Yeah. Okay. But I'm from but East not Texas. You. you just jumped out there with I'm me. from East Texas where the, the town in Texas is called San Augustine. So I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just I'm just I'm just saying that that was that was I don't know which one bold, sounds more I noble. It. I just don't care. I just I respect you know, it. my accent gives me away wherever I go. No no one's going to believe like oh he is one of those educated folks. Um, but uh, that's not I my could problem. see where there would be a temptation to sound like you know tons of information and call him Augustine instead of Augustine like the grass. I mean, but I, you, I mean, you I, didn't feel that temptation. You just went out there, and I respect it. I respect you. Augie? That's all I'm saying. I mean, I, Augie is, you know, for short. Now I no longer respect you. <laughs> what were you saying? You're losing ground, before, Nathan. Before the fall, Adam was free to not sin. After the fall, Adam was not able to not sin. Non passe, non peccare for the Latin. After becoming a Christian. Don't do the Latin. Don't do it. You, after, ju- you jumped out there with Augustine. I know. I know. There you go. That's, the, that's all I've got. But then... <laughs> But then you tried the Latin, and that's just not going to work. All I can right? do so this whole thing in Latin. After you become a Christian, it's possible again to not sin. It's possible to sin. It's possible to not sin. Before you become a Christian, not possible to not sin. 
That's the freedom. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the freedom of the Holy Spirit in Romans 6, where we are, Jesus died, we're united to him in death. Death means the end of our slavery to sin. So now you're free to not sin. But Paul also has to instruct Christians not to sin and not to consider yourselves instruments of sinfulness, but instruments of righteousness. And the glorified state is no longer possible. It's not possible to sin. You'll be glorified. So we're in this state where uh, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and yet we're not glorified. It's possible to not sin by the victory that we have in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also possible to sin. We can still do that as Christians. Uh, and yeah. what we're saying so, is... Go ahead. Back to what I was saying earlier was <laughs> if you're trusting the, if you're trusting in your mind to make the right decision or to, you know, you're trusting wholly in yourself, yeah. uh, trusting your feelings, yeah. that is part of the fallen nature that is not part of the unfallen nature, right? The, right. Part of the unfallen nature is to, re, is to work towards, move towards reliance solely on Christ, to know mm-hmm. the character of God, mm-hmm. to be formed and shaped by his opinions on things, mm-hmm. and in which case we're relying on his word, not on our own mind. Mm-hmm. So when you're trusting in your feelings, then you're appealing to that fallen nature that really wants to trust in conventional wisdom. So what do you, um, what do you say so, to someone who says, I'm praying about it, I'm seeking God's will, I'm not seeking my own wisdom, I'm not seeking my intuition, I'm praying and I'm asking God to speak to me in prayer? What's wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, again, I think it depends on what they mean by it. If you're saying, well, I'm, I'm praying about it, and you're saying, I want the Lord to reveal to me any sin that's in my life that might be influencing my decision here, perhaps revealing to me any sin that might be in the decisions themselves that I'm not currently seeing, mm-hmm. then I'm fine with that. Do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. If you're praying for... Um, God to speak to you one way or the other and tell you which decision to make. Well, it's it seems to be pretty convenient that every time somebody says that and does that and has that approach that he basically just affirms the thought they already had in their mind in the first place. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to go pray about this decision, but you kind of already know they're leaning one way. Well, it's like 100% that yeah. they actually choose that way that they're yeah. leaning. And so, what God? I guess God just confirms everything that we think, and I, I just don't think that that's true. Um, you know, I think more often than not, uh, that's what probably people do and people mean by "I'm going to pray about it," and I'm going to just pray that God actually gives me some sort of uh, confirmation, affirmation uh, about you know this particular decision that I already want anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. that's I think it's problematic. You know, yeah. Yeah, I think the, for reasons we've already said. I think the the danger from where we are to the the other dangerous end of the spectrum, if there is one, is an, an inaccessible God who we don't have access to because we we kind of created this God who's like the college professor, where every time you ask him a question, he tells you it's in the syllabus. And you can't actually, <laughs> you can't ever actually have a conversation with him. You know, he's just wears the shirt. It's in the syllabus, and you can't even talk to him. And, and I don't think we're thinking that way about God. That, you know, oh, we can't. That's a great analogy. Really. We we can't we can't talk with him in prayer. That, that's what we see in the Psalms. We see in the Psalms all kinds of requests, all kinds of crying out, all kinds of. You know, crying out, God, what is wrong? Why is this happening? Will you do this? Please help me. Come save me. All, all kinds of uh, prayers to God. But I think what we're getting at is the emphasis in our culture and generation that leans really heavily toward me and God alone in the closet are going to figure out my life plan. When God has said things in Proverbs, for example, that says— uh, I think you mean your war room. Wa- oh, Go gosh, ahead. stop. The um, <laughs> Proverbs says, you know, good decisions are made out of a multiplicity of counsel. Have you talked? The scripture tells you to talk to other people about your ideas and your plans. Have you sought counsel from anyone? 
That that's not weird. That's not that doesn't mean that you're not trusting God because you didn't pray about it and you went to talk to three people about it and get wise counsel. When you go talk to wise counsel and and seek help in your decision, you're actually doing what scripture has asked you to do in Proverbs. Mm. When when um and so and so it's not like we're not trying to create this scenario where you can't go talk to God. But we need to kind of come back to the fact that Scripture actually helps you sufficiently. It's enough. It actually addresses the crisis, problems, questions of how to live your life. It actually, it actually does. And we need, we need to come, come back to that. Uh, if we read scripture, I mean, we have, we have passages like Paul, I think it's Acts 13 maybe, where, you know, Paul is wanting to go into Bithynia and he's not wanting to go have a good time and take a vacation and go gamble. He's wanting to take the gospel into Bithynia, but the spirit of God doesn't let him. And so he tries to go again. And I think it says the spirit of Christ kept him from going. And I think he instead went into Macedonia and eventually into Thessalonica. I don't know how to explain that. You know, there's multiple places where Paul said he's kind of held up by God's hand, by God's spirit. Um, and so there is, we're, no, I, don't, I don't think we're trying to erase the, um, the bigness and sovereignty of God to lead and speak and, you know, communicate in dreams like he's doing uh, often in the Middle East in the recent years. Um, but that when it comes to us pursuing what's good and right before God, Scripture is sufficient. Not to mention the fact that most of the dreams that we even hear about um, that end up leading to faith in Christ are dreams about people getting Bibles and dreams about people meeting Christians who give them the Bible, right? Um, so I think often we hear about dreams in other contexts and other times. We think, well, we're not having dreams. Sometimes the most, the most credible dreams that lead to faithful Christianity are dreams about getting Scripture so that then you can read Scripture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can walk with the Lord and believe and follow Christ. Yeah, and in the whole way, none of those, again, coming full circle, none of those people wake up and go, you know, I feel like God is telling me. No, they're, they're confident. This is actually what the Lord has done. Paul doesn't say, uh, I feel just like God is telling me that I need this, that, or the other. He's saying, no, the Lord is prohibiting me from coming. Yeah. And some of that, too, is not just is not just like the skies opened up and, and where God said, got really close to the microphone and said, Paul, listen up. And there, <laughs> there are times where he, did, where he did that yeah, to I Paul. Mean, I mean, he, literally, he his own conversion. Kind of showed up, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there, there clearly those times where it, where it is happening. Uh, I doubt for most people that that's that that's occurring to them, uh, or that's occurring for them. But you know, it can be also as simple as the course of events of a day of a day's li- a, a, you know a, a day in the life of Paul. It's obvious that he is being prevented from going, mm-hmm. and he takes that as direction from the Lord. You know, in the same way that I get behind the slow driver and I'm like, what in the world? And I can't pass them, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's also the Lord slowing me down, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I say that partly in jest. But, but, but no, I think, you know, God's sovereignty is such that even the course of other people's lives, quote unquote, interfering with our own, mm-hmm. is also in some way that he, some way that he directs us yeah. and says, you know, it's, and, you know, keeps us from certain things that might, you know, cause us harm. And obviously we have to be careful with stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, I think that's part of it too. It's not just, we don't just have to read those words in Acts as the clouds opening up and, and, you know, God saying something to him or him seeking some sort of special revelation. Yeah. Though obviously he had those from time to time. I think too, there's, there's a temptation for Christians to think, okay, so if you take away, which I'm not actually even trying to do, but if you take away that personal prayer revelation, then it removes, for me, it removes beauty, it removes mystery, it removes transcendence with God, because now you're just saying I'm supposed to go read a book and kind of figure my life out with a book, and it kind of... You know, it's kind of like a wah-wah on Christianity, 
like we just kind of take all the fun out of it and turn it into a religion when it actually does the exact opposite. I just think it expands and increases the magnitude of which we see God working. One, what we say about God's Word is not that it is a, you know, a paper and pen on a book or a type on a book, but that it is active, it is living, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, it's able to pierce, it's dividing deep as bone and marrow, as soul and spirit, able to make known the motives of men's hearts, it reads us. So it's, it itself is not a lifeless, plastic, kind of stuck-in-time document that we just kind of read and try to use as a reference. No, it's God's living Word. It is as creating, it is as powerful as when God said, let there be light. On the other hand, in walking with God, walking in His providence, we actually begin to trust that God might even do a good, great work in my life through even my mistakes, through even my sin. The gospel is that the very worst thing that ever happened to mankind was God's hand on the Jews and on Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers to crucify Christ, Acts chapter 4. That's Those men did those things to Jesus. And yet God made that the best thing that ever happened. So we want to talk about plans, and we want to talk about getting God's will right and walking in what God has for us. Jesus walked into the cross knowingly into the hands of men and their plans for his life, and it brought about the salvation of the world and the fulfillment of thousands of years of revealed Scripture. Do we think that our prayer about our job this week is somehow up for grabs as to what God might do with it, even if we made the worst decision? You know, the best option was A, a decent option was B. We choose sinful option C, and we think God can't use that too? I mean, we are in a more mystical, more wonderful, more amazing world when we realize, God, it's not just like me making decisions and God going, your life will be great if you'll just do the right thing. Good yep. grief. God is much greater, more powerful, and doing more amazing things through our sinful decisions uh, at times and our mistakes uh, than we think he might do if we did something right. God's more wonderful than that. What we're also saying, too, is that the more you come to know the character of God the more clear your options are in front of you. That's good. And when you get two options that are super confusing and very, you know, one of those situations where it just takes you a long time to decide, the more you come to know the character of God, the more you will realize how much freedom there is for you as his child mm -hmm. to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And so your decisions become less about divining some secret path that would otherwise be hidden to you mm -hmm. and more about going, how can I leverage this choice into God's glory? Mm -hmm. Because I know his character. I know what he's done for me. I want to serve him all the more. I've been created in Christ for good works. And so I want to go in the direction that leads me toward more of his glory, more of my gladness, and more of the good works that he's laid out for me. Mm -hmm. And so which one is going to afford me that? Mm -hmm. And then I feel the freedom because I know who he is, and I know who I am in Christ. I feel the freedom to make a decision. And even if I find out 10 years from now, man, that was a sinful choice. I was short-sighted. Praise God. He's brought you 10 years now into growth that has helped you see the sinful choice that you made 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, that's great. Yeah. In fact, it's causing you to, to, to give greater evidence in your life for the reasons why you need Christ to die for you. Yeah. And that's actually where he's bringing you. Mm -hmm. Your whole life is bringing you to those conclusions, to deeper and deeper understanding of the fact that you need Christ and, and, and his death and, and resurrection for you. You need that. And... 
all of our decisions, all of the things that we make, all the things that we do bring us, he's bringing us more and more to that conclusion, yeah. which is great. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I was, I think that's a good thought to close on here. You, um, you know, like I said, when we, a, a minute ago, I started pulling out all these books and trying to find really smart things to say. And, um, you know, I think it was helpful, but the very first chapter, the very first book of Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, the very first sentence, this is what he says. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. That's good. That is good. That's good. Basically, so I don't think it's as good as what we just said for the last hour, but whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. We said it way better. But I think it's helpful, and I think that's what you're getting at, that <laughs> the real nature of wisdom isn't knowing particular plans. It's knowing God, and it's knowing ourselves, and living in light of His grace, fearing Him, walking with Him. It's good. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. See you, man. listening to the fire and bones podcast if you enjoyed this podcast consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you and most importantly share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links including our contact information feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones Podcast.